this is Powered by Iron Health, an Iron Health podcast based out of Westchester, New York. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Powered by Iron Health podcast. Today we have a special guest. His name's Brett Pineros. He's a chiropractor and also a business owner. He's getting into the industry right now. So what we're going to do is go ahead and introduce him, get to know him, and jump into what the world of chiropractic care is, a little bit of his background, and kind of what led him to getting into it. So let's go ahead and jump into it. So Brett, welcome on this morning. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So just to kind of dive into it, um, I know that you ended up going through and you said that you played hockey, baseball, um, and a number of sports. What led you to those sports um, kind of starting out your life? So um, I come from a pretty big family. I'm one of five kids, uh, the second of five kids. And so growing up, my older brother was, is eight years older than I am. And so, you know, when you have an, an older brother in your life, that's that you, you sort of try to mirror yourself mm-hmm. after him, or at least I did. And I know a lot of other people that did. So um, he ended up playing actually the same exact three sports that I did through high school, which is football, hockey, and then baseball. Um, and so part of that was me just being around those sports my entire life and really enjoying them. And then, um, the other part was once I picked them up, I really, really latched onto specific portions of each sport. I think they represented different parts of my personality. Um, and then I was able to sort of gather different things from those different sports that kind of really defined, I I would say who I was, um, growing up and then today as well. Absolutely. So Obviously, getting into those sports, um, you said you ended up going to Franklin, um, Marshall Co- mm-hmm. Franklin and Marshall College, and you ended up playing D3 baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, playing any type of sport, no matter D1, D2, D3, the minute you hit the collegiate level, you're in a whole nother set of, of standards and, and competition and exercising and all this stuff, different stuff. Mm-hmm. So getting to that level, um, go ahead and kind of tell me kind of how it started, what your experience was. Um, and then obviously let's go ahead and also dive into some of the other side of it, of what were kind of some of the, the rougher sides of mm-hmm. being a collegiate da- athlete. Um, yeah, so I, I was a little bit late to the whole recruiting process. Uh, I wasn't really aware of, you know, I, I guess all of the showcases and all of the camps and everything. Um, and I don't know, I, I guess the whole college process kind of made me personally a little bit nervous, a little scared. Um, you know, I, I've always been somebody that's, I think this has changed a little bit, but somebody that's sort of been a little afraid of changing, of, you know, of moving away from my family. So I was a little bit late, a little bit hesitant, but, um, so I was able to get uh, a spot at one of the camps of Franklin and Marshall. They offered me a position for the spring and I basically just took it. Um, looking back at it, it was, it was an awesome thing, but you know, it, at that time it was really my one opportunity besides walking onto some, pl- uh, mm-hmm. some place to play. But I always tell people division three, like if, if you're on the cusp of division one or division three, division three offers a fantastic opportunity for a lot of athletes to focus on athletics, uh, focus on academics, and then also get that athletic atmosphere that they're looking for. Um, you know, it, it tends to get when you look at division one versus division three, everyone wants to go division one. Um, but my opinion was, I knew that I wasn't going to be a professional baseball player. I knew what my future was going to be. Um, I still wanted to have that sort of fire where I could compete in college, um, while still focusing on, on something that I love to do at a, at a great school. Uh, so I really enjoyed that whole process. Um, but like you said, I, I, I quickly took the, the intensity that I had from high school into college. I made 
basically my goal there was to be the best that I could be. You know, I focused all of my days around when I was training, when I was recovering, obviously getting my school work done, um, almost to a fault. I would say, I would say that I focused, like I, I sort of poured my entire identity into being a college athlete. Um, and I learned a lot from that, I think positive and negative, but, uh, it, it's definitely, if you're going to dedicate yourself to it, it can definitely be time consuming. It can be tough, but for me, it was definitely worth it. And I think when you, when you try to learn something from every experience you have, uh, you can't really go wrong when you're, when you're going all out into something. Absolutely. So <clears throat> to dive in, I know, um, earlier you had kind of mentioned to me prior to us coming on here, mm-hmm. um, Playing D3, and I know this, even my sister, she was a dancer um, at Bellarmine University in Louisville. Mm -hmm. One of the things that she consistently dealt with was injuries. And I have other friends that played D1, and and it was just constantly like, they were like, it's small injuries. Every single time it was small injuries. Um, Now, obviously, there is a slight difference between D3 and D1 when it comes to level of care that they can provide. Right. but let's go ahead and dive in. I know that you experienced some issues yourself um, going through your baseball career. So if you wouldn't mind kind of touching on those and just no, kind of, of diving into what it was. Of course, yeah. And I think it's funny. Every every physical therapist that I've met anyway, maybe doctor in general, but physical therapist and chiropractor especially have their story of how they got into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one They'll never say it's it, two things that never is. It's never about the money. They never said, Oh, I want to be, I want to be a PT or Cairo. Cause like the salary is super high, right? That's not necessarily no. true in any field unless you start to own and you, you know, really grow your practice. And no one ever, um, will just go in and say, Oh yeah, I had this interest in, uh, engineering. And then all of a sudden I just decided to go to PT school or a Cairo school. Cause it is that extra commitment of the three years, four mm-hmm. years, whatever it might be with medical school, obviously being even longer. So mine, uh, was like so many others was kind of spawned due to, due to injuries. Obviously, um, through high school, you get like the nicks and bruises of football, hockey, baseball. I've been really fortunate given the amount of sports that I've had that I've never had a serious, serious injury, knock on wood, obviously. But, um, with baseball specifically, as I got to college, uh, I had two serious hamstring tears that sort of sidelined me for one was the pretty much my half of my senior season. The other was part of my sophomore year and then just lingering back discomfort. Um, being a, a unidirectional, unidirectional athlete, just rotating the same way over and over, you mm-hmm. tend to develop these asymmetrical uh, injuries, which is, you know, I deal with a lot of baseball players now, and it's a lot of what they get as well. But going through that, it was basically just um, trying to manage my own pain, dealing with the trainers, trying to learn as much as I could. Uh, and what eventually happened was as I was lifting, I, would, I had one really serious back injury, um, and I had an x-ray, had an MRI, and it came back completely fine. Meanwhile, you know, I dealt with pain my entire life. I could barely even walk with this one injury. And so I was like, this is so bizarre. Like, how is nothing showing up on the x-ray, nothing showing up on the MRI? And that was my first intro into musculoskeletal medicine, which is, you know, sometimes there's just no pain is weird. Sometimes there's no damage to the area. You can have excruciating pain. Um, Sometimes you can have no pain and you get an image done and, there's something seriously wrong, like, you know, like a disc mm-hmm. bulge. So, um, what ended up leading me down, down this road was I went, when I had that back pain, I went down the gamut of what I would call like standard medical care, traditional rehab, um, and was given a lot of things that I thought might fit somebody who was less active, someone who had less of a career in weightlifting and, and strength training in general, not to say that I was an expert, but I felt that I was, I wasn't getting the most out of what I was being offered. 
um, that led me to a chiropractor. And the first chiropractor I, I ironically went to was one that I would I would call a more traditional mm -hmm. field, right? The field is somewhat divided into um, different sectors. There's one sector that's that's the relative minority that believes essentially practices like when the profession was um, commenced in like the late 1800s, so to okay. speak, where it's very much the adjustment or manipulation is the only tool that they use. They look at alignment. They take uh, images of everybody. And, and that's not what the standard of care is recommended by the, by the National Association today. But so when I was going through this, I, was, I, I went through a few visits and I was just like, you know, it just didn't sit right with me. It wasn't an approach that made sense to me from an athletic standpoint. You know, I had always believed in doing self myofascial release, soft tissue work, mobility, things along those lines. And this just didn't jive with me. So I went and looked elsewhere. I found other chiropractors. And eventually the combination of my cousin who owns a powerlifting gym and another chiropractor that had a more modern approach led me to say, okay, this is what I, what I really think is this field should be. And then it just clicked in my head. I was an environmental studies and public policy major at the time. And I was like, I've loved working out. I've loved injury prevention. I've loved sports my entire life. I should really stay involved in that. And so I decided to go and, and kind of like on last semester, I switched it up. I took some courses over the summer, uh, went to Cairo school, and I've, I've been super happy with that decision ever since. Okay. So to get into it, so obviously playing baseball, um, it can lead to a number of different things. I think one of the most common is obviously Tommy John. Mm -hmm. And I think more than ever, we're seeing it more and more because when you have high school players that they're freshmen, sophomores, and somehow they're throwing 90 mile an hour fastballs. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here and I'm like, looking back, I'm like, growing up, it was impressive if like a minor league player was right. throwing 95. And now you have, I think it was either, I think it was Sabathia that threw the 107 mile an hour fastball. And I immediately was like, he's only going to be able to do that so often yeah. until next thing you know, now he's having Tommy John surgery. And is he ever going to be able to pitch the same way again? Mm -hmm. um, so kind of to jump into some of those injuries, what do you see as one of the things that not just in baseball necessarily, but in all sports that you feel is something that we're kind of missing? Um, and I, maybe like recovery or whatever. It, it's ironic too, because the more we know about these injuries, somehow the more they happen. It's the same thing with the ACL epidemic, the Tommy John epidemic is we know more and more about strength training. We know more and more about the etiology of how these injuries happen, yet we can't seem to curb the rate. It's just, you know, like I said, ACL, UCL, it's the same thing. Um, what we know directly about the UCL specifically is that we used to think that it was it was about kids throwing curveballs at young ages, and while that may have its own impacts on the elbow, um, tendon health, ligament health, what we know is that it's it's typically the volume of pitches that you're throwing, and then the average fastball velocity. So, essentially, if you don't want to get Tommy John, don't throw hard and don't throw a lot. But it's like you, you can't tell a yeah. kid that, especially during recruiting, during all this. So it's this double-edged sword of understanding the volume and intensity at which they're throwing, yet preparing them uh, the best for what they can do. Um, to go more directly to your question of what are we missing, it's it's honestly tough. I mean, like I said, there are, there are studies being done every month and being released every month about the kinematics of the elbow, uh, understanding the forces that go through the shoulder. Uh, something interesting about the uh, th about the UCL is the force 
that's delivered through any pitch is enough to tear the UCL in a high level thrower, mm -hmm. at least. So what does that mean? That means that the force is being distributed through other parts of the body, which I think is, you know, we, we can understand that simply and it's common sense, but I guess the, the gist of what I'm getting at is we have to understand better how that force is distributed and how do we better train and prepare that athlete um, to succeed. The, the tough part is though, you look at like an NFL athlete, someone like Adrian Peterson, right, uh, who tore his ACL as so many others did, Saquon Barkley. I mean, these guys are peak physical shape, mm -hmm. you know? So you can't say that it's a strength issue because clearly they're stronger than any, you know, yeah. any of us that I'm going to probably come into contact with, yet they're the ones who are tearing their ACL. So it also has to do with like a force production issue. Mm. Um, I think that by maximizing recovery, education, warm up, there are so many things that we can do, especially in youth athletes to prevent that type of injury. Um, but you know, when it comes down to it in sport, you're never going to prevent everything. It's yeah. just a matter of how can we, how can we limit the, the rate at which these are occurring? Cause they only seem to be going up at this point, which is alarming, obviously to yeah. say the least. I, and I think to kind yeah. of feed off of what you're saying is I feel like to an extent, almost recovery is now becoming something even worse seeing here. It's becoming more and more popular. People are realizing, I think, <clears throat> kind of the need. They look at, mm -hmm. for example, D1 athletes. They look at, I mean, Michael Phelps. Cupping's now becoming more and more popular. Mm -hmm. People are knowing what it was. But I still remember one of his first few Olympics he was in. He he comes in, and the man has the the big, huge red circles all over his back, all over his <laughs> arms. And everyone was like, what? I know what happened. To I him? do. I remember that too. That was like one of the same Olympics where the the beach volleyball players would come out with the KT yep. tape, just strewn all over their shoulders, and, and no people. one. Everyone was like, "What is this?" Yeah, and it was like these are the first athletes that started realizing, and I think it, not even just them, but like coaches for the Olympics were mm -hmm. sitting there looking, and they're going, "Okay, we got to be able to keep these athletes at their top." peak physical performance because they're obviously one we're competing at the olympics we got to right. be able to keep everyone to their a game um and i think one of those things was the focus on recovery so now we have i mean here at iron health we got the cryotherapy we mm -hmm. have cupping um and then and some of the other states you even have dry needling and acupuncture yeah. um and it's one of those things that even going into yours, chiropractic care, I see more and more often mm -hmm. people that are performing um, are constantly going through it. Um, I have a friend that he uh, goes to LSU and he was a football player. And one of his things was he goes, you have no idea the amount of like recovery that they yeah. focus on. He was like, we would literally come out. Um, and even one of my friends from Notre Dame, they would come out of practice and immediately go to the showers, shower up, and then they had a hot tub for yep. all the players. So the players would do their like end of practice briefing from the hot tubs. Wow. I mean, we've all seen the, the videos of the LSU locker rooms, yes. the, you know, the juice bars, the you know, the green smoothies, the you know, everything that you could ask for. And and you're right. And I, I think it's going even deeper now to the point of recovery where they're doing blood testing almost daily on a lot of these athletes just to measure hormone levels. I mean, we know that that testosterone growth hormone, and even by saying testosterone, even testosterone, estrogen, and the balance in males and females are absolutely critical um, for recovery and, and muscle repair and, and all of that, thyroid hormone. And so when you have these elite athletes that are pushing themselves every single day, 
uh, on the brink of overtraining, you, you know, you need to get that minute. Uh, if you're a high school athlete, a youth athlete, you don't necessarily need to go to the point of, of you know, blood testing. Yeah. However, I mean, a lot of these, the threshold for overtraining in an elite athlete and a high school athlete is very different, but they can affect the body the same exact way. You know, um, I think sports like football are starting to move in a direction uh, away from just grinding you into the ground mm -hmm. and understanding the benefit of strategic conditioning, pushing you just enough. I think if you talk to anybody that played, even played football, and you were you were mentioning to me someone that played football at Notre Dame, yeah. uh, you know, a while back, I'm sure the the practices looked a lot different oh, than they do now. 100%. There's a reason that the NFL teams now, the players' union, and everybody lobbied for you know, less contact, less days with full pads. Obviously, that's to keep them a little bit healthier. But a lot of the data is backing that up too. Uh, if you even think about load management now in a lot of these sports, like basketball, baseball, where they're, they're resting Aaron Judge every fifth, tenth, whatever yeah. it might be, tenth game. I think it's probably a little more than that. I want to give you know him a little bit more credit. But yeah. simply because they know that if he's on the field less, he can recover a little bit more. The chances of injury go down. So I think recovery definitely plays into that. The effects of overtraining are pretty significant. I mean, you can put on body fat. Uh, you can see fatigue states, less muscle contraction. If you have less muscle contraction, you lead to increased joint instability which is obviously not a good thing so i totally agree with you and i think a lot of these athletes are pioneering these new movements and michael phelps it was as simple as cupping and then eventually down the line you know now we have whoop straps and yep. the aura rings that are measuring recovery and sleep and i think when you when you create a plan for somebody you can utilize these things even for a high school athlete for a weekend warrior to to you know, create some sort of positive benefit for them and, and help them prevent injury because no one wants to be injured. For, no. for some people, it is literally their livelihood, but for other people, it's just about their mental well-being, feeling good, what's their identity. So we want to preserve that for everybody regardless of who we're treating, whether it's a professional athlete or just somebody that wants to run five or six miles on the weekend. And I think that's where places like Iron Health and, and what I'm trying to do kind of fit together and we can all work together to make that happen. So going with that, so you mentioned kind of your brand. So Apollo, let's go ahead and kind of dive into it a little bit. Um, what, obviously kind of the injuries led you to getting the degree that you got, led mm -hmm. you to kind of making the decisions you wanted. Um, what led you to decide to start your own brand and your own business? I think uh, for better or for worse, I noticed through the course of, of my life in college, high school, that um, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm bad at following directions necessarily, but I, I always, I would say that I always thought that I could, that I wanted to do things a certain way, especially in the rehab field. Like I said, um, I was led astray, I would say, by a decent amount of practitioners, whether it would be medical or rehab in general. Uh, and I just thought, you know, when I, going into chiropractic school, it was always my goal to have my own practice and to sort of do things my way and treat people the way that I thought the rehab field should treat people. Mm -hmm. um, and now I'm happy to say that, you know, through social media, I found, and even in, you know, right in my backyard, I found a lot of places that sort of agree with, with that that um, mindset and we can get into the ins and outs of what dictates how someone's able to treat whether it's the insurance industry whether it's the space they're afforded whether it's financial obligations but um, yeah essentially I, I always knew that I wanted to start my own thing and to try and try and make it the way that 
I think I as an athlete or an active individual or even just, you know, as, as a person would have want to be treated. And mm -hmm. I, um, I guess I had flirted between chiropractic school, physical therapy school. I, I think other, I think the, the nuances of chiropractic and at the, at the time, the ability to be portal of entry, the ability to order x-rays, blood work appealed to me a little bit more. And then I had had just a really good experience with a chiropractor. Um, not that I had had any necessarily bad experience with physical therapy, but like I said, and I've talked to a lot of physical therapists and chiropractors that I really respect. And I have a feeling that in the, in the future, the, the professions are going to basically blend together. Uh, we have little nuances in how we, how our education works, um, with physical therapists focusing a lot more on especially post-op care, but then exercise as specific therapy, mm -hmm. whereas chiropractors get more of the hands-on manipulative treatment. But um, being a strength and conditioning coach, I, I, I have that background anyway, and so I sort of blend the two of them. But I always say, if say you have a patient with low back pain, I should really not be able to tell, in my opinion, if they're getting treated by a, a chiropractor or a physical therapist. The guidelines of, of evidence-based care are, are pretty clear in that it's a multimodal approach, but it all sort of funnels back to an active care approach, getting people to understand their pain, what's the cause of their pain, and then helping them on a path moving forward, usually by some sort of movement. And obviously, um, you know, passive modalities like massage, like manipulation, mm -hmm. they all have their place. But in my opinion, they're, they're all just tools. And so you apply the right tool to the right patient at the right time, and you can do sort of wonders for them and, you know, with, with a really just a simple approach too. Absolutely. All right, so to go off of that last part that you were kind of talking about, um, so I want to dive into kind of some of the training side of things. So I play premiership rugby now, um, and one of the things that I actually got to experience um, about last week, I had gone down to Tampa, and I got to experience, in my opinion, kind of a new version of what working out with, say, a trainer or something looks like. Mm -hmm. um, I went to a gym called Camp, and one of the things that I liked about it was it was class-based structured. So I'm with a trainer, the trainer's leading the class, he has all the workouts set up, um, and for the strength class, there was a cardio section, a strength, a strength section, and then even a whole entire section for pulls. So the reason I like that is I, I was looking at it, I was like, okay, you know, like back in the day, personal trainers never put the time and effort to looking at how do we structure a class to still beat the muscles up and mm -hmm. kind of get them pumping and expanding and growing while protecting that person. I remember one of the first times I went to personal training was like I was in uh, late middle school, early high school. And, um, and it was when I was wrestling and one of the personal trainers, the first thing he did was just run me until I literally couldn't lift at all. Like mm -hmm. my arms were shot to the extent that I was literally failing. Um, and I ended up having shoulder issues. My arms were constantly just exhausted and I, I was constantly having just muscle pains. Mm -hmm. Little did I know that it kind of came down to the fact of how I was being trained. Um, so if you wouldn't mind kind of diving into what you've seen in the personal training side of things and kind of how um, between, I think you had mentioned kind of uh, blood flow restriction even, mm -hmm. that's kind of a newer thing. And it's like this training habit of training with certain devices and tools as you were saying earlier, it's really taking us to the next level in training and allowing somebody to still get that full max 
load on their muscles while protecting their muscles and still recovering in a shorter amount of time. Yeah, I think the um, like the strength and conditioning industry and and personal training industry in general, like everything, is just growing at such a rapid rate. The amount that we know, based on you know a lot of research that been that's been done in the United States, but especially largely out of Australia too. Australia is really big into their strength and conditioning research, and uh, some of the Nordic countries as well. It is it's super impressive, and and we're we're starting to learn more and more that the body does need a, a stimulus to adapt always, right? But we didn't. Before, we used to think it was the more of a stimulus you can provide, the more it's going to adapt. And we now know that that's not necessarily the case. You know, So we're looking at things like time under tension being really important uh, for adaptation and not necessarily heavy loading. I mean, heavy loading does provide its own benefits. And, and I'm a huge proponent of loading any, anybody strictly because of the, the effects that it has on uh, bone development, on preventing osteoporosis in women and men down the road, things like that. But there are so many tools now that we can use in order, just using body weight even, to create some sort of a stimulus, challenge the person, make a good adaptation, whether it's muscle growth, growth whether it's cardiovascular endurance. And blood flow restriction is an interesting one. So um, for those that aren't familiar, blood flow restriction, essentially you place a, a cuff that looks like a blood pressure cuff, essentially on one of the limbs. Uh, you can do both legs, both arms, or one of them. It's used a lot after surgery, uh, basically to halt atrophy, to gain muscle back. Cause that's as you know, I'm sure as the, as the PTs here know, that's one of the things you're trying to halt, especially after a major joint surgery. Mm. Um, it's just it it shows better outcomes if you can halt that and get muscle growth coming back as quickly as possible. So I, I like to tell people essentially what you're doing is tricking the body into thinking you're working way harder than you actually are. So you partially occlude blood flow going down the leg. You almost fully occlude blood flow coming back. And that sounds super aggressive and weird, but it's actually a very safe procedure for those that don't have any serious contraindications like previous history of blood clotting, et cetera. So what you're doing is you're, you're creating an environment in the muscles below that cuff that's extremely hypoxic and acidic. So you're, you're almost starving them of oxygen. And what happens and that what they've seen is that as your muscles get starved of oxygen, they become more acidic, they, they require more energy. So they, they contract harder. You recruit more of the fibers. Mm -hmm. So if I was going to do um, 10 reps of a bicep curl without the cuff with 20 pounds, you know, I might feel a little bit of a burn. It might be a little tough towards the end. But if I do that with a cuff on and you add a little bit of higher repetitions, you start to feel that burn way sooner. And what that is is your body trying to adjust to the, to the stimulus. And so as a result, you're going to get more of those muscle fibers to contract. For anybody that's ever had, um, it's called Russian stim, Russian stim. It's a form of electric stimulation. Mm -hmm. It actually forces muscle contraction. Uh, and you can get a really high threshold of muscle contraction that you actually can't get from just trying to, say, extend your leg. Um, it's a really interesting phenomenon. But by using tools like that and now, you know, good coaches and trainers put that sort of mindset into practice when they're training people and they know when you have a leg day, you're not going to max out your squat, your deadlift, a lunge on the same day. You're going to hit mobility for joint health. You're going to hit strategic time under tension maybe for different muscles so that you can offload the central nervous system from having a heavy load but still get isolated attention to a muscle group and cause an adaptation. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think we've come a long way, and the best of the best are constantly reading, constantly trying to up their game in terms of being able to provide safe but effective measures. Um, 
I think the goal of strength and conditioning people forget is really at its heart to prevent injury. If, if you're not on the field, then you can't, you know, you can't be a good player just by nature. So they, you know, I think, I don't know who said the quote, but it's the best ability is availability. That's what they said. Mm -hmm. and so while yes, you're trying to increase performance with strength and conditioning, the first goal is to be able to keep people on the field. And that's usually paired with getting stronger, being more mobile, being uh, in better control of your body. But if you're going to just run people into the ground, then you know, what are we even doing? You're better off not even going to that sort of uh, a coach. So it's cool to see that people are starting to bring that into group exercise, which is, um, which is really unique. Uh, you know, I, my office is, is in a, a facility called Athletes Warehouse in Pleasantville. Mm -hmm. And I always joke that there's no, there's no strength and conditioning facility with more education in terms of you know, multiple coaches there have master's degrees. One has a doctorate in performance psychology. In performance psychology. So it's just becoming a field that is becoming more and more educated. And um, you start to see it with the results that people are getting, whether it's in you know, breaking world records and they're just accessing the best of the best and these people are making sure that they're on the cutting edge of, of the science. Absolutely, I think, I think that's the thing that everyone, everyone's kind of slowly changing because I wanna say, look at back, say like our parents' generation, when they're going to the doctor or to a therapist or anything, um, one, up until 2015, physical therapist, you could get your certification. Yep. Now, since 2015, and a lot of people don't know this, but since 2015, physical therapists, they've been required to get their doctorate. Yeah. So every single physical therapist is a doctor. Mm -hmm. um, and going even further off that, that means there's more education. And back during our parents' generation, I feel like it was a lot more of like, well, we're not gonna tell you everything that's wrong with you. We're not right. gonna necessarily fully focus on what's the fastest way to get you recovered, get you back out to whether it's, say you're a construction worker, getting you back out into working your job mm -hmm. um, because it was so much more money driven and money focused on the fact of keeping you there for actual rehab. Yep. Whereas now the things have changed and it's like, even with other clinics that we've talked to, it's now more of a, let's educate, let's look at the new tools and, and we have blood flow restriction cuffs, mm -hmm. we have the cryotherapy, we have um, a number of different things, even shock therapy. And we look at all this and we're going, okay, these are all tools that our doctors and some of them really take time to really learn what are all the benefits of this? Right what ways can this help? Because then you have somebody come in um, and say that, you know, their muscles are aching, do stretch session, whatever. And then we're sitting there and we're going, okay, let's go ahead and help you recover a little bit more. Let's throw you in the cryo chamber, throw you in the cryo chamber, get that stuff flowing for you and you're coming out. And now you're all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is nice. Um, my dad, he used to go to a, what you were talking about earlier, a classic chiropractor. Um, he was like, oh, well, I love it because I feel the immediate relief. And I said, yeah, you do. And I said, but how long does that last? And he goes, right. a couple of days. And I said, exactly. I said, find somebody that gives you the tools. I said, chiropractor is still great. Get, a, get one that teaches mm -hmm. you, hey, this is what I'm manipulating on you. This right. is why I'm manipulating this. Um, and I said, it's, it's all about the education. Yep, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And I do want to make a distinction because I think um, I don't want to just want to sort of 
talk bad about people that just do manipulation because yeah. but in my opinion you so i still know evidence-based doctors that just do manipulation they don't have the knowledge base in exercise but what they do is they make sure that they either have a physical therapist in the building that they're referring to or another chiropractor that does or a strength and conditioning coach they're they're completing where their um where their gaps are with other issues yeah. you know it's the same thing with me i don't write i don't have the education in post-op care as much as i can i'll read about it and I'd, I'd love to learn more about it if i have someone that an athlete that comes to me and says hey i just had labral surgery i'd say that's awesome in a month or two i'll handle that um down the line where you're starting to strengthen again where you're starting to get back into actual you know more loaded exercises in the meantime let's find somebody who specializes in this area i think and it's it's moving more and more the medical field and the healthcare field in general to integrated care which is exactly. like these facilities where you have multiple people or at least referral networks that can complete a different portion of care and do it really well so that the patient is getting the best experience by far um, and I think that's really important because, uh, you know, it's all about giving the patient the best care. And if you can't provide that care for them, it's, hey, let me refer you to somebody down the road exactly. or in, in your network that, um, that can. And so just going back to that original point is you can do your own little specialized thing. And I know, like I said, plenty of chiropractors that all they do is manipulate. But it's, again, it's the education. They understand the evidence and the literature of what they're doing and why they're doing it. They're not trying to sell you on something more than it is and that's uh people are guilty of that everywhere and sometimes it's just ignorance and the fact that they really just don't know the latest literature which happens and then it's all you know you got to just keep on learning and sometimes unfortunately it, is, it can be a sales tactic yep. to get people to come in more and more and uh, people are guilty of it in every single field but uh you know unfortunately in the healthcare field it just looks a little bit worse because you're dealing yeah. with people in their most vulnerable moments, people that are in pain. And, you know, so it's unfortunate because people are more likely to make a rash decision mm -hmm. if they're in pain than, it, you know, if they were in a store trying to get sold or, or like trying to get a car sold to them or something exactly, along those yeah. lines. And I, th I think even to go further off of that, I think it is one of those things that even, for example, here, I mean, <clears throat> we have trainers that we like to, all right, hey, you came to us, knee injury mm -hmm. we're gonna go ahead and discharge you you've recovered really well however we want you to still be able to focus on building the muscles right. up around that knee um, so we have this personal trainer up the street we have a great relationship with them we know they'll take care of you I want you to go to them just so that you can continue to to increase the mobility to strengthen the knee because obviously the worst case scenario that you would experience is you get done with rehab and then all of a sudden you just dive right into your sport right. and go back. Right. And I think, mm -hmm. I, I think pa like patients want that too. You hear all the time, like, how can I continue this problem? I'm out of pain, but I think most of them understand and comprehend that being out of pain is not the end game for them. Like yeah. they, they want to surpass where they were before. And I like to say, I mean, it, nothing makes a therapist or a clinician feel better than when a year down the line, you either run into that person or you touch base with them again, and they're like, yeah, I feel better than I ever have before. You know, the worst thing you want to hear is, yeah, you know, they, I was good for two months. I went back up to the level where I was, was trying to compete before, run before, or whatever, throw before, and the same thing happened. Because then clearly you didn't make a lasting change on that person's body or on their mindset. Um, and, you know, that's the worst thing. It's like any orthopedic surgeon would tell you the 
they want to create their best network possible because the worst thing is that a year down the line the person retears their ACL after yep. reconstruction. Like that doesn't look good on them. And while it may not have been their fault, it's not like the surgery was faulty. Yeah. It just means that the athlete was not prepared to go back into competition the right way, which means somewhere along the line, you know, they might have been or they might not have gotten the best information or been pushed the right way. Obviously again, things happen. It is, you know, it yeah. is what it is. But you know, our goal is to best best prepare them by giving them the best tools and that's often referring them to the best people, exactly. at least in our knowledge that we can. Absolutely. And I think that's where um, especially <clears throat> something like this, I mean, I in my opinion, I want to say 15, 20 years ago, you would have never seen chiropractic and physical therapy even closely working yeah. together um, because it was so, t it, everyone looked at it as two total polar opposites. Mm -hmm. And now um, people are realizing that you can utilize both and have all the same care and understanding from and kind of utilize you, you can benefit mm -hmm. from getting both put together. Um, and there's different education in both sides. So, and even you look at our therapist, we have therapists that honestly, if you came to us for a soccer injury, I have a doctor that I'd rather put you with because right. they have a lot of experience working with those specific types of people, um, as well as they have a lot of experience just in general running through with those people in their recovery process and taking them through their training and everything. So um, I think that's where we're changing. Um, so I kind of want to go onto the sports side because that's kind of been a big topic mm -hmm. for us. And I, I think that's going to continue to be a big topic right. um, is keeping these young athletes that are now starting to continue to push their bodies to the limit and not sometimes even further what's kind of one piece of advice being somebody that yourself you experienced magnitude of injuries i experienced magnitude of injuries um i think i've had 13 broken bones since i was wrestling so what's like that one if you could give one just piece of advice or key component that you would want to give say a younger version of yourself or just even a new athlete that's say hitting middle school and they're starting sports for the first time well first of all rugby and wrestling you are must be a glutton for punishment in some some respects so respect for you for doing uh those two because those are two sports that i have a lot of respect for but are absolutely just brutal Nuts. in the training and in just the competition um, nature but i think that i have this is twofold um with the resources that people have today, whether, I mean, the content that people are putting out on YouTube, Instagram, now it's tough because you have to sift through it because anybody can put stuff out there. Mm. But what I would say to athletes is just keep learning. I mean, you have the tools to just this limitless amount of information about your body, about training, and then just verify, 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 continue to learn. If you're serious about what you do, you should want to really understand the nuances of what's going on. And you know, you don't have to be at the doctor level However, uh, you do have the resource to at least understand basically and ask your coaches, ask your therapists for that. I think that's really important. The other thing I would say is that I understand some sports um, require specialization at an early age to be successful, gymnastics being one of them. Uh, that's a that's a good example. Sports like hockey, you know, you can't just pick hockey up when you're 15 years yeah. old and expect to be a good skater or be really good. But one thing that I see with baseball athletes especially are those unidirectional athletes is just specialization where they're playing their sport nine to 12 months 
a year. And as an early as an early athlete, I, I wouldn't even say go play another sport. I personally think that's beneficial up to a certain age, but just you have to take the time to diversify your movements. If all you're doing every year is training around rotating to one side, you cannot expect yourself to not have overuse injuries or set yourself up for some catastrophic stuff down the line. Um, so whether or not you're going to a strength and conditioning coach and just getting a little bit more movement diversification, you know, if you're a baseball athlete, make sure you're cutting, running some football routes for fun. It, it goes such a long way in building a base level of athleticism. I, I think, you know, everyone forgets you're, you're a human first. So if you can do basic human movements like squat, crawl, lunge, basic things, then you're an athlete second, right? So just create good athletic foundation. Are you able to cut? Are you able to jump, sprint? Uh, and then start to specialize into your sport and then into your position. I think that's a, that's a really good pyramid to go on. That's what they um, go off of at, at Athletes Warehouse, which, which is, I think is a, a phenomenal way to approach an athlete. Um, especially as you as you age, you know, if, if you're someone who likes playing recreational volleyball, mm -hmm. you know, but you're a desk worker the the entire week, like don't just train as if you're an elite volleyball player. Yeah. Like make sure that you're able to move without pain. Make sure that you're able to, you know, do the things you want to do in your everyday life, and then start to add some of the stuff that you want to, you know, that keeps you competitive, that keeps you excelling. So. I think diversification and making sure that you're you're a good mover and just moving pain free before anything, and I think specialization goes into that a Absolutely. long way. Absolutely. Um, so to kind of wrap up, um, obviously you guys have you have the athletic warehouse. With kind of going into that, um, for people that are in Westchester County, we have viewers from all over. Obviously, mm -hmm. for the people that are in Westchester County, where can they learn more information about you? Um, and especially kind of what you guys are doing because obviously similar to us it's it's one of our core values mm -hmm. raising a higher standard right um, setting that new standard and I think you guys are doing that as well so what uh, where, where can people find some more information not just about the warehouse but also you sure so um, so my company is Apollo Performance Chiropractic uh, the website is ApolloPCNY.com um, it's the same thing on social media so Instagram Twitter Apollo PCNY and I'm gonna start building up my YouTube page a decent amount uh, with the goal just being to provide really good actionable content for people I'm gonna dive into uh, issues for golfers baseball players just low back pain in general runners um, and if you get in touch with me on social media I you know, I would love any feedback on what type of videos people want to see. I think educating people is, is super important. Um, so shoot me a message on either of those platforms. And then, uh, yeah, so the office is located within Athletes Warehouse in Pleasantville. And so if anyone wants to just stop by at any time or check out their website as well, they're a really good strength and conditioning company that they have adult fitness classes um, through one of the coaches and then they do one-on-ones and group training as well. So it, it is a nice little one-stop uh, shop as well. So. Yeah, people feel feel free to check that out, and I love answer. Uh, if you get in touch with me on social media, I love getting back to people. You probably send you a voice message just because like the typing thing takes way too long. Yeah. But um, yeah, I love answering any questions that I can, whether it's about chiropractic, whether it's about a specific injury, providing you know basic um, tips for people, and then uh, yeah, hopefully I'll just be able to build up that that base. You know, just being open a month or two, it's that's kind of where a lot of my focus is at. So just trying to provide knowledge for people, but definitely appreciate you guys having me on and I uh, respect what, what Iron Health does and you know I think you know companies like this they're they're kind of moving healthcare in the right direction exactly. which I think is the goal for everybody and I agree I think that with you guys as well I think it's one of those things that I think 
as people see this change um, because unfortunately there's some of the older generation that did give that pre kind of pre notion of this is what healthcare is unfortunately right. you're stuck with this and now we're changing it um, I mean heck you can even look at car salesmen back in the day it was more of just like I just want your dollar and now mm -hmm. it's more of like let's get you in that vehicle that fits you and that's right. kind of how we're altering both of us are altering that world of recovery and, and healthcare is let's focus on what plan fits you. Right. In the end, it's not about us. It's not about me. Exactly. It's not about any therapist, right? You're coming in to see us because of our expertise. Um, so, you know, my goal and everyone's goal should be, don't make it about me. It's what are your goals and how are we going to get you there? You know, exactly. the plan is going to look different for everybody, but the bottom line is if we can sort of customize it to you and, and say, okay, you want to do this, let's get you here. You know, maybe we curb certain expectations based on time, based on, on ability, <clears throat> but, but overall our goal is to just get you to where you want to be in the shortest amount of time. And then obviously with value-based care. So you're not spending thousands and thousands <laughs> yeah. of dollars doing it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's that's the goal, and again, I think with through integration, we can make that happen with for a lot of people. Absolutely. So thank you guys. Um, thank you, Brett, for coming on to of our course, podcast. It was a blast. Um, we're gonna put all of his information and in the show notes down below. Um, so feel free to go ahead and check the bio for this podcast uh, episode specifically. Um, you'll be able to find him, his Instagram. Uh, if you're watching our video version, I'll go ahead and put it both in the description um, and it'll also be popped up um, as we're discussing uh, kind of where you can find him um, and as well as information on the warehouse. So thank you guys. Tune in again uh, next month for our next episode and hopefully you guys have a great day. Thank you for joining us today on the Powered by Iron Health podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and if you'd like more resources and information on Iron Health, please go to ironhealth.co. You can also find us on our socials on Facebook and Instagram, both at ironhealth.co. Keep moving and stay active.